It's Monday, June the 7th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, COVID-19's decline in India and Mexico's massive midterms. First, the world in brief. India recorded a little over 100,000 COVID-19 cases on Sunday, its lowest figure in two months. The country has been hit by a catastrophic second wave of infections, which is yet to abate in the countryside. But Delhi, the capital and other areas are preparing to ease lockdown restrictions. The country's vaccine rollout remains sluggish. Its first dose vaccination rate is 16.5%. America said it would donate 750,000 doses of COVID-19 vaccines to Taiwan. The island is grappling with a spike in infections and has a first dose vaccination rate of only 3.2%. Taiwan has accused China of blocking its access to vaccines. On Friday, China's foreign ministry criticised Japan for its donation of 1.2 million doses. Voters in Mexico cast their ballots in the biggest election in the country's history. More than 20,000 positions are being contested in the midterms. Campaigning was marred by violence. At least 89 politicians have been killed in the past 200 days. Morena, President Andrés Manuel López Obrador's party, is predicted to retain a majority with the help of other left-wing parties. Angela Merkel's Christian Democratic Union saw off a challenge from the far-right alternative for Germany in Saxony-Anhalt's state election. The Chancellor's party won 35.9% of the vote, compared with the AFD's 22.7%, according to a projected result published on Sunday. That means that the CDU can continue to govern in the state without forming a far-left coalition. Joe Manchin, a Democratic senator, said he would oppose a sweeping voting rights bill that would protect voting access across America and outlaw gerrymandering. Mr Manchin said the bill, backed by most Democrats, would, quote, divide the country. In a finely balanced Senate, his stance all but ensures the legislation's failure. He said he would instead support the moderate John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act. Opposition parties in Somaliland claimed victory in the country's first parliamentary election since 2005. The Somaliland National Party, known as Wadani, and the Justice and Welfare Party together won 52 seats, compared with the ruling party's 30. Somaliland broke away from Somalia in 1991 and has been mostly peaceful since, while Somalia, which has refused to grant it independence, has been beset by civil war. Chinese authorities blocked the account of Xiaohongsu, a popular social media and shopping app. Its crime was to ask its users to tell it, quote, loudly what day it was. Egregiously, it did so on June 4th, the 32nd anniversary of the massacre of protests around Tiananmen Square. Allusion to that day is strictly forbidden in China. It is unclear whether Xiaohongsu actually had Tiananmen in mind, or was just happy it was Friday. And fact of the day. Every year since the 1960s, the 10% of voters with the most years of schooling in Western democracies have gravitated towards the left-wing parties, while the remaining 90% slid the other way. And now here's today's agenda. Endless delays. Israel's politics. The battle to form a new government in Israel enters its final straight this week. Factions are tussling over the timing of the confidence vote, which will, if passed, enable Naftali Bennett to replace Benjamin Netanyahu as Prime Minister. The Speaker of the Knesset, Israel's Parliament, is trying to delay proceedings. 
Yariv Levin, who is loyal to the Prime Minister, wants to give Mr Netanyahu as much time as possible to lobby wavering parliamentarians. Mr Bennett's coalition contains a broad range of parties, including some he had previously pledged never to work with. Their sole purpose is to replace the long-serving Prime Minister, who is facing charges of bribery and fraud. But Mr Netanyahu has called the proposed new government the result of, quote, the biggest election fraud in the history of the state and urged his colleagues, quote, to vote with their conscience. If he gets just one of them to jump ship instead of a new government, Israel may be heading for yet another election. Tipping the scales. Aung San Suu Kyi's day in court. The de facto leader of Myanmar until she was deposed in a coup in February, Aung San Suu Kyi is scheduled to appear in court today. The charges, which the UN says are politically motivated, accuse her of a series of crimes including breaking the country's Official Secrets Act. If convicted, the 75-year-old will probably remain in prison for the rest of her life. Her lawyers say she is in good health, but is unaware of how much Myanmar has changed. Since the putsch, the army has killed nearly 850 people. Some protesters have formed militias and attacked soldiers. Over 300 bombs have exploded at sites connected with the junta in cities across the country. Fighting between the army and a new militia in Kaya state has displaced some 100,000 people. As if that were not enough, COVID-19 cases are surging in a state bordering India. End of the honeymoon? Britain's foreign aid spending. Riding high in the polls and recently married, Boris Johnson must be feeling beloved. But one group that seems to be tiring of Britain's Prime Minister is his own MPs. The government is facing a rebellion today over plans to cut foreign aid spending by £4 billion, $5.7 billion. Committing to spend 0.7% of Britain's GDP on aid helped the Conservative Party woo socially liberal voters. Scrapping it, having already been the Department for International Development, signals Mr Johnson's more nationalist pitch. Many Conservative MPs are not on board. Rebels span the ideological spectrum and include the former Prime Minister Theresa May. They reckon that cutting the aid budget as Britain hosts the G7 runs counter to the government's quote, global Britain rhetoric. A rebellious backbench culture propelled Mr Johnson to power after he joined hardline Brexiteers to bring down Mrs May's premiership. It may now be returning to haunt him. Over-indexed. The Hang Sang's revamp. The Hang Sang Index, the primary barometer of the Hong Kong Stock Exchange, is getting a makeover. In December, the index launched a plan to bolster the ranks of its constituent companies from 52 to 80 by the middle of next year. From today, three new firms, a battery producer, a maker of glass for solar panels, and a property management firm, join the index. The expansion reflects a changing Hong Kong Stock Exchange. Once dominated by banks, property developers and conglomerates, the bourse has in recent years attracted a more eclectic mix of companies. In 2018, it loosened rules about who could list, just as American regulators started to apply more scrutiny to Chinese shares. Chinese tech giants such as Alibaba have supplemented their New York primary listings with Hong Kong ones, while some of the country's younger firms who may have once debuted their shares overseas have chosen the city for their initial offerings. Some like it not. Forever Marilyn It is one of the most famous moments in Hollywood history. 
In The Seven Year Itch, Marilyn Monroe stands over a subway grate to cool off in the summer evening heat and the breeze blows up the skirt of her dress. A 26-foot statue depicting that moment, created by Seward Johnson in 2011, has had a more vexed reception. When Forever Marilyn was installed in Chicago that year, critics called it, quote, creepy schlock. Controversy has followed it to various other locations. Locals in Connecticut complained in 2018 that the actor's backside faced the church. Now, residents of Palm Springs have filed a lawsuit to prevent the enormous sculpture from being positioned outside the city's art museum. Their objections are aesthetic as well as moral. An online petition, which has attracted more than 40,000 signatures, argues that the statue is, quote, hypersexualized and, quote, misogynist. Some moments are better left on the silver screen. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Alan Turing, who passed away on this day in 1954. Science is a differential equation. Religion is a boundary condition. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist radio podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.